Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Animal Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lauther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another episode of NucleCast. Of course, I'm your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have with us Angela Sheffield, and she is the Senior Director of Data and Artificial Intelligence at RAFT, which is a company that supports the Department of Defense. And today we are talking about AI, ML, and how it could potentially impact NC3, you know, it's uh, for those of you that may remember, I wrote an article a few years ago called America Needs a Dead Hand. And all of you, everyone unanimously said, Adam, you, you want Terminator, you want, uh, you know, uh, the Whopper, you want all these bad things to happen. So, you know, we haven't had that many episodes to talk about this topic. We've talked about it once or twice in the past, but I, I knew Angela and I thought, this would be a great topic. She's at the forefront of it. So she's working it and actually working with the DOD to make this happen. So with that said, Angie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, you do this, I, you know, I sort of know some about it and have, have a bit of an idea and I've looked, you know, thought about, well, how do you keep, you know, how do you keep AI from making the kinds of mistakes that everybody fears? But could you maybe start off by giving folks who sort of know mm-hmm. they've heard AI, they sort of know kind of what it is, but can you sort of explain what it is, you know, in sort of those layman's terms? Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's funny conversations about AI always start this way. And it's interesting. They've started this way since um, this modern wave of AI, which has been, I think since like 2014 or so, and I don't know, I, I, it's a little bit of a, I take it as a measure of, of increasing interest in the field, but our definitions haven't gotten any better, you know, even after all those years, not any easier, I think, to understand. And part, I think that's because AI is such a huge and diverse field. It's kind of like saying chemistry, which I'll say, I'll say, cause I know the audience, you know, but it is really that big and that diverse. But it's also helpful to have like a common starting place and useful definitions to work with. So I'll share a couple that I work with. So AI generally is, or not generally, but kind of specifically, technically, especially from like a scientific discipline perspective, is the study and design of agents. So technology systems, agents that can sense, adapt, and act. So it's very simple, but it's a huge category you know, traditionally that has been a, like a computer system, not just like a stupid robot. You know, it's had some of that um, computation, uh, computer computation aspect to it. I think when, uh, when, when we're talking about what an AI is, like a specific AI thing, that is a combination of data and not like all data, but a specific subset of a specific data type you know, a modality, a specific, you know, 
a range of it taken over a certain area or for a certain time or for a certain application, like very specific bundle of data, plus a model, plus some compute. And there are some fun ways to play around with that mix of things. Um, you know, most of the AI coming out of commercial is based on AI where you have t- tons of access to data. And actually, if you can appreciate, you know, that little 3Z, that triad, well, I won't say, I don't want to abuse the word triad for this audience, but, you know, that set of three, um, there's some form function relationship between the data and the model or the algorithm, you know? So if you have big data, you use particular types of algorithms in building AI. And those algorithms are machine learning, they're deep learning, but they're not at all the only algorithms. And in fact, in national security, in nuclear security, we don't have access to data in the same way that the commercial sector does. Sometimes we do have very large data sets. I think many of us are familiar with some very large, you know, think of seismic monitoring, CTBTO, like that's a lot of data. But if you're not getting a regime of the system that you're interested in, you can't just go collect more data necessary. You can't, you know, if, if you're missing a representation of a type of test activity, you can't just what you can ask somebody to do that, you know, so we have some different challenges because of that data aspect. Um, When it comes to nuclear, there are some emerging things in the DOD, especially around that compute, because we're waking up to the fact that, especially when you're thinking about doing something with the AI in an operational sense, you may not have access to all the compute you want. Think again of like, you know, a seismic monitoring station, you don't have a supercomputer there. Um, So there's a lot of really interesting interplay with that that we forget when we're playing with stuff like ChatGPT because those solutions come from this like boundless, um, they're they're the types that you have unlimited data, unlimited compute, and you get ChatGPT. But that's not always the way that it is. Um, But then certainly can't go much farther without talking about there is like the senior leader definition of AI, which is, you know, um, It'll do all the things. It'll just make all the make all the things better. And we're working on aspects of that happening. But just like chemistry, you know, it will come in specific solutions first in specific solutions. And then maybe, you know, an understanding of the types of techniques and solutions that match to different problems. And, um, you know, from that, we'll we'll develop repeatable approaches and maybe even, you know, but it's uh, it's it's not like all the AI is going to necessarily solve all that problems. It's it's as hard as anything else is, you know, especially knowing talking to this audience, it's as hard as the work that we normally do. Very hard. Yeah. So if you think about when and where AI would be useful in the nuclear field and, you know, I sort of thought, well, the, the place it would be most useful would be in NC3 to speed up that process of, you know, vetting information, you know, mm-hmm we have this detect, decide, direct process that we go through that we, we want to be able to do faster and faster and faster because our time continues to shrink. And then we, mm-hmm. you know, like with hypersonics, we might not know exactly where something's going to, going to hit and they're harder to track. And so you have attack time compression. So how can you integrate or wh- when might you integrate AI in that process in a way that, you know, because everybody fears, you know, taking the man out of the loop. So Mm -hmm. when and how would you, do you foresee that that could be potentially beneficial or is it never beneficial? 
it will be beneficial in some place. It's not ubiquitously beneficial. Um, I'll just say one thing before we dive into the NC3. So a lot of my research over the last 10 years has worked, has focused on nuclear non-proliferation. And we did see a very cool opportunity to apply AI to enhance nuclear non-proliferation, treaty verification, counter-proliferation, especially in a regime that has been inaccessible to us with traditional approaches. So our audience will know traditional approaches have focused on material signature, chemical signatures of nuclear material, um, physical signatures of the processes to produce nuclear material, seismic signatures from tests. All of those are very late indicators of the progression of nuclear, of a, a nuclear weapons development program. But um, the, you know, kind of, again, form function, our whole, much of our ecosystem is built around you know, developing the techniques. That's just what we have a lot of capability in. And the solutions, the tools we go after it with are well suited to that, like modeling and computational science, you know, that's all grounded in that same very physics constrained space. But AI is sometimes better suited for data sets or, uh, yeah, data sets or challenges that aren't well described by physics. We don't want, I won't go into like the math of the AI, but Sometimes it helps us get after things where we can't, we don't have analytical solutions. We don't even have Monte Carlo type simulation representations of these systems. And AI has helped us go after that. So that's gotten us, you, you know, you still, you asked about timeliness and faster decision making. That has helped scooch us left of boom in the non-proliferation space. But it's again, this matchup of the algorithm with the sort of data you're going after and the, the strategically relevant indicator that you're getting from that. And we just found this really happy marriage in the early proliferation detection space. And we can talk about that more if you want to. But in terms of NC3, one exciting thing that we're starting to see as AI actually gets into production and use is especially, especially given that, you know, kind of back to this um, resources will be limited sort of problem, which we all have known for a while working on AI for really hard problems. Again, we can't collect all the data we want. Sometimes you won't have the compute you want. Decision makers won't have all the information. You know, resources are limited all over the place. Then that that's one thing. And then the second thing is that AI solutions are so specific to the thing that you're looking for. So you can like train a model. I've done, you know, I've done train a model on all the previous examples that you've ever seen. But like when we have an NC3 challenge, is that going to be in the data set that we have? Maybe, maybe not. But all of this is pointing to that the use of these technologies in executing something like NC3 in supporting battle management like in JADC2 is going to be very dynamic and it's going to require a watch office, like an operation center, like we would expect, you know, we'll have a, an AI solution running on a particular data set or to, you know, I don't know, to generate some blip that's on a commander's screen, and then we'll lose that data feed or we'll drift out of the bounds of responsible use for that AI algorithm. And the commander in partnership with whoever the AI technologist is, the task force in operations or supporting that NC3 thing will have to decide do we change this algorithm in real time? Do we do something that doesn't have to do with the AI? Do we task another resource? Do we plug in another comm system? But it's going to be a, a very dynamic thing. Sometimes when I talk to senior decision makers, they're like, well, why will there be so many more decisions? And this is one of those reasons. You know, 
for each of these AI powered things that we're incorporating into the whole NC3 flow, it's going to require this on the loop management of those three things I mentioned, the data, the algorithm performance, and the compute resources that you're putting to it. So if, you know, the way I sort of envisioned it, and I would describe it more as incorporating machine learning, that you would have, you would essentially create, um, you know, James Reason's Swiss cheese model, where it's not like that there's one algorithm and that one algorithm makes all the decisions, Mm -hmm. but that, you know, in all of these discrete processes, because NC3 is, you know, it's a system of many systems. Mm -hmm. And that within all those systems, you can have multiple, you know, machine learning tools that are processing information. They can vet each other. They can do all the kinds of things to make sure that that the information you're ultimately getting and pushing up to a decision maker, that it's it's good information. Is that a feasible way to look at it or am I looking at it wrong? No, that's the only way to look at it. Yeah, it will be a collection of, and I even have a hypothesis about artificial general intelligence that's along this line, but it will be that a term that we are liking to use as we develop these solutions for the DoD are, you know, it's an open ecosystem of solutions. So there are going to be tons of things in here. Um, DoD will have to figure out how you manage all of that. But again, that gets to some of that human in the loop stuff, like which algorithm do you pull in to wit for, but you're correct. Each step, each input, each component may, you know, some of them won't be AI enabled, but for the, you know, for the ones that are, it will be maybe even a collection of things that support that one input. And when I was at DOE and NSA, that was how we had many examples of that was how we were approaching developing, especially much more comprehensive solutions for, say, uh, nuclear test detection. You know, it was very much a component system of systems thing. Sometimes you have uh, sometimes another place for AI or computational techniques like AI, not machine learning, but graph analytics, for example, which is a not emerging, but increasingly recognized core capability in AI. You know, you have something you have another uh, algorithm like graph forming the interstitular parts between all those different components. You know, even that might be dynamic and you might change it, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, there'll be a lot going on. And so how do you, one of the big concerns with this is that, you know, as, you know, you, as the AI learns that you can't really vet it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's one of the biggest complaints, you know, for people say, you know, for, for the nuclear community where you're very sort of, you know, there's, you know, zero mistakes. How do you deal with that aspect of, of AI? When we think about AI, hypothetically, it is impossible to vet it. But when you're building, again, like again, in that component-based thing that you're talking about, think of that, everyone hold like one part of NC3 in your mind. You know what you need. You know what you would need from any solution to support that component. And a domain expert or someone that's been responsible for that capability forever, you know, brings a lot to the table in terms of verification and monitoring and what you need to see from it. And then AI scientists have another understanding when it comes to the algorithm or statisticians to the data, you know, but when it comes to building confidence and being a specific AI system, that's a lot more transparent, a lot more doable than 
just thinking generally about how we're going to trust AI. And I like that approach. So I like this really component piecemeal specific approach. I like it um, as we think about what these solutions are going to look like. But I've also found that approach to be most promising and successful when we're building and integrating AI solutions into NC3 or into the nuclear nonproliferation ecosystem. Like this isn't a, whatever they say, bite the whole apple thing at once. You know, no, it's take little components in, validate that they do better than something that can, that you had before. You know, it, it, whatever, it does something a little bit better than the exact thing you were doing before. And then you integrate that, you watch that. There are some other, there are some emerging technologies and practices that help with that real-time monitoring of AI systems in a far more transparent way. Um, but we can talk about if there's any interest, but just rest assured, you know, from that side there is, but really it comes from pursuing specific AI solutions for that specific component. And that is a doable challenge. So we're at that time in the show where we have to take a quick break. You're listening to Nuclecast and we'll be right back. This episode of Nuclecast is brought to you by the Analog Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back and we're talking to Angela Sheffield. We're talking about AI, ML, and how and when and under what conditions it's worth incorporating into, you know, nuclear writ large, but NC3. And so I guess my my follow-on question would be is for, for folks who want to make sure that the NC3 system is secure. Because as we move from kind of an analog system to a digital system, security mm-hmm. has become sort of the, you know, the 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 biggest challenge that we face. How how do we make sure the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans don't get into the system. I mean, as I think about, you know, if I put myself, if I'm a Russian and I want to attack the United States, what I want to do is I want to shut. It's not that I want, you know, to attack the U S I just want to make sure the U S is blind and deaf and so that they can't act. And so as, as you think about incorporating these kinds of systems, explain security for us and how does it work and and is it better or worse than our typical digital cyber systems help us to understand that better i'll answer in a slightly different way first so one thing that i like to bring into how i see us pursuing ai and how i how i lead us to develop ai like for raft and other places is these systems you know, like you, you can imagine very, to use the phrase, lots of people are familiar with black boxy solutions or something like that, you know, um, but that's really not going to be what works when we're incorporating AI into these solutions. Um, nobody needs to learn that lesson. Like, please just take it from me. These solutions have to be human centered, designed to be interpretable. When you're making design math choices, when you're choosing your algorithm at the beginning, Try to choose something. And out there are some algorithms that are more human interpretable than others. The lab, the national labs have done some really interesting work in more inherently um, models where it's more where it's easier to attribute where the response is coming from in a model. You know, it's not impossible. That is impossible in a deep learning model. 
Um, but that means we have to choose models where it's easier to provide that transparency to. You know, we have to bake that, bake that in, as people say, way from the beginning. And I'm also excited about that because we will shine a light. We will shine light into those areas, advance that science as we hold to that requirement that our solutions have to be human centered and transparent because they're supporting these really um, important processes. So all that said, there are uh, AI AI is not any more susceptible to cyber threats or digital threats than other technologies. There is um, even like when we think about stuff like data poisoning and everyone's probably familiar with the examples of the post-it notes on the stop sign, you know, spoofing the computer vision algorithms. Um, there, there, you can spoof anything. You know, there's no additional, there, there's no greater threat with the introduction of AI into these systems than any other digital or detection system. You know, they're still brittle if you use an optimization type approach. If you don't do a great experimental design, you know, design of that data set, you're going to miss, you know, those same things that we know as scientists and engineers apply. But of course, there, uh, but like if you're not making sure that the the way that you're approaching that is transparent, has those ways of attributing system response, you know, provide that human in the loop visibility, you may not know. So that is where certainly some of those concerns have come from. And there are so many very public examples of mistakes, like designing very biased AI systems. So we do have to do good work. And again, an AI solution has to outperform an existing national security solution that we've like invested blood and country in developing. So it's a very high threshold, you know, uh, and you're taking on the cost of incorporating a new solution. So um, where we're successful incorporating AI enabled solutions, it's not going to be easy work to develop them. But generally, they're no more, you know, at risk from cyber or digital threats or information threats than anything else. But because of some of the peculiarities of working with the algorithms, it can be challenging, but everyone's got that in their field. So we just, we have to do our best. Yeah, I, I kind of saw it as they're far less susceptible just because like, let, let's take, for example, um, missile threat detection and you take, you know, you have space-based assets that, you know, detect IR signatures and then, you know, those get classified and then you start projecting flight paths and, you know, th- and you have, you have a pretty good data set that you can train that algorithm on, let's suppose you have an algorithm and Mm -hmm. you've got, and then, and it's pretty, it's solid data. And then you're not going to be just introducing a lot of random data that I think would be easy to trick it. So I, to me, it seems like you would have greater fidelity in these kinds of systems and they would be harder to spoof or trick than, you know, some of the stuff we've seen where, you know, AI has been trained to be, you know, racist or, you know, cause you, you're, that has lots of people are introducing lots of training data purposefully, you know, trying to, you know, get it to do the opposite of what it was designed to do. Whereas like with missile threat stuff or, you know, pick some of the other things, the other elements of NC3, those aren't going to be things that people get on the internet to just try to, you know, screw with what you're trying to do. You know, it's pretty hard to, to create this quote unquote bad training data. It's an interesting observation. 
Um, in some ways, like, yeah, in some ways I agree. This a bit goes back to like AI being like chemistry, like as broad as chemistry, you know, one of the things that you talked about kind of looking overhead at airplanes, you know, um, that's a particular subfield of AI and, um, it might be a highly constrained problem. And actually we have a, there's a, a lot of history of outperforming humans and like visual recognition tasks, though there are some challenges with actually getting data that's representative of what we expect to see in a DOD, you know, or, or kind of DOE and NSA application. So like sometimes this, but that's again where, you know, you'll be substituting it in for anyway. Um, but just, I wanted to pull the thread on. I love that you of course know, and our audience will know, nuclear is a fairly, con- in some ways, fairly constrained thing. Um, you know, NC3 is constrained in that it's our systems and it's DOD and we're watching for these specific things. And the nuclear fuel cycle is highly constrained by physics and chemistry. But AI models, mo- you know, this field is still mostly driven by the commercial sector. Most of those models don't care about, they're not designed to incorporate any sort of constraint information or the fact that you only, it, 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 those constraints don't help us. Sometimes if we're using AI in the way that it is just, uh, you know, kind of off the shelf developed to, in that case, it's strictly data driven. So you can't incorporate any of that physics. You can't. Um, so there's still a lot that we can do, but it's it, it just, it's such a relevant observation. But again, when you slice it with the like nuanced big field of AI, it's like, yes, no, you know, in some places, but I'm not at all concerned that we won't figure it out. You know, I, I, I think that there'll be tons of great applications of AI and other emerging and traditional technologies as we build out NC3. Yeah. It seems, you know, for, for those who worry a lot about AI, it, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a human created thing. And so therefore it's mm-hmm. going to be as good or bad as its creators. And so if you have an inadequate team of designers and, you know, you don't have the social scientist, but you're going to talk about social science with it, then you're probably going to have some problems or, you know, you can think of a thousand other ways you might have those deficiencies. And I wonder, so I, we're, I guess we're kind of at that point in the show when Bob comes out. So I, you know, I don't know if you knew, but I have a genie. His name is Bob. He's, you know, if I pull him out and I rub my little lamp, Bob pops out. He gives my guests three wishes every episode. So it's now time where you get, I kid you not, Bob's going to give you three wishes. Now your wishes are constrained to the topics we're talking about on the show today. So if you want to make three wishes from Bob about what we're talking about today, what would your three wishes be? Um, one wish would be, I, well, these wishes are hard because like I want them to happen in a very responsible and like, but I would love <laughs> to see the, and I know this is a little adjacent to your community, but again, speaking for the non-pro side of the nuclear security community, I would really love to see us and no offense meant at all to our important longstanding capabilities in chemistry and physics, you know, geophysics, none of that. But I would love to see greater recognition of um, non-traditional approaches towards early proliferation detection, you know, CR research strategies there, national strategies centered on that, and then sort of the policy and approach and and general strategy for non-proliferation realigned around that center focus would be one. Um, 
I can like, is it cheesy? Or maybe your guests don't normally wish for this. And if we really can wish, like, like can the DOD get everybody better computer? You know, like, can we fix some of the, <laughs> it's such a, I'm normally, you know, normally when we're talking IT or AI, you know, it's like, it's such a cop-out answer to say, but again, this is a different audience. So, you know, honestly, truly on the ground, the long, long pole in the tent for a lot of the development and integration of these solutions is uh, insufficient infrastructure and tools. And I don't know what would happen if that problem were solved, but it would be awesome if that problem were just solved and we couldn't point to it as why we're insufficient anymore. Um, and then three, I mean, be cool like not to have nuclear war. Is that also a cheesy throwaway? I mean, you know, <laughs> why not? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Bob, is he's an all-powerful genie, so we'll see what he can do. So now you mentioned nonproliferation. How, how do you, so, you know, I've sit on the DOD side my whole career, so I wasn't mm -hmm. a non-pro guy. But the one thing that, you know, I've been looking at and doing some work on South Korea and South Korean assurance lately, and one of the things the South Koreans say is, hey, listen, American deterrence of the North has failed. You were going to deter them from building nuclear weapons. Not only did you not deter them from that, but they're building an, an incredibly capable arsenal. So it would appear that nonproliferation has failed. American nonproliferation efforts of North Korea have completely failed. So for, for South Koreans, how do you, you know, as you think about future nonproliferation, if you have a, you know, a proliferator who's, you know, hell bent on it. What do you do at that point? You know, and this is sort of the, the South Korean dilemma as far as whether they go nuclear themselves, because it seems like the North Koreans, you know, they've, it's a poor man's arsenal or a poor man's deterrent to the U S is, Hey, nukes are much cheaper. They, they spent $4 billion over more than a decade. And that's how they, you know, for 4 billion, they were able to build a nuclear arsenal and deter the U S that's a pretty cheap price. So yeah. from a non-pro perspective, how do you address that challenge? Adam, we could have had a whole, <laughs> this is such a rich and interesting topic, you know, in non-pro we often, I'm not even really, I'm like, uh, you know, kind of a technologist who's gotten to hang out with a non, but I guess I kind of have gotten into non-pro myself as it is, but we often, um, you know, f f suffer from that proclivity to do that projection thing, mirroring, you know? So we sure. often say these proliferate, you know, they're going to do it the way we would have, they would they're going to do it the way it's been done before. Um, yeah, I have a lot, I have a lot to say on this. I think that AI presents some, so first of all, there's my first wish, which speaks to, we'll let your listeners connect some of those dots there, but it speaks to adding more tools to the toolkit to address um, the this scenario that you've brought up. But I, I, I would ask our community, you know, even in non-pro probability and statistics, so we've mentioned social science, but bringing the mathematics and modeling along with social science really looking at the evidence that we have collected, not just as like single point, like, you know, AQCon looked like this, so and so's breakout looked like that, South, you know, everyone points to South Africa, but really understanding that within a 
modeling framework of what not just fuel cycle or not just freeze frame, not this one single pathway, but what is the realm of the possible? What, who, why do these two proliferators look like this? And what do we expect from, you know, we haven't used those tools in non-proliferation before uh, ever. I think that there is work to do there that requires some humility and like looking at something like South Korea and saying, why, why did we, where did we fail with North Korea? It, you know, shining a hard light on where we have invested in, why it hasn't worked. Um, so there's a lot to, there's a lot to be done, but we have a lot of ways to go about doing it. Um, and I encourage us to, as a community, it kind of, again, goes to my first, first city, first wish. Um, but the other thing I would say is that we forget because we haven't done treaty negotiation for a long time. We haven't, you know, really exercise these tools. We don't have any, you know, active treaties. Right now we haven't exercised these tools um, in in a really flexing their muscles sort of way for a while. So we forget the non-proliferation as part of the whole story. You know, it's not that we just expect treaties or, um, you know, radiochemical co- particle collections or seismic monitoring to have deterred North Korea. I'm not saying that was a success, but it's part of the whole U.S. strategy um, to support it. And if it provides some transparency into what's happening, if, if our non-proliferation techniques, pro- maybe they're providing transparency and not doing deterrence in that way. But it's not too dissimilar or in that application. It's not too dissimilar from that reckoning that we have to take in deterrence community, which is deter who from doing what and really have a way to measure if that is working and hold ourselves accountable to that. There's the same thing in non-proliferation. What is this tech? What is this program in non-proliferation deterring or coercing or influencing or monitoring who doing what? And really look at those, look if those programs are achieving our overall security aims. Yeah, well, uh, you know, unfortunately we're at the end of the show, but I think we'll have to have you come back and give you some more time because we. I said, "Hey, let's talk AML," and then you know, next time I'll say, "Hey, let's talk non-pro, counter-pro," and and you'll have you know time to sort of get your thoughts prepared and and we'll talk about that on a on another episode. Awesome. Well, I'd be thrilled to come back. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here today. I mean, it was it was an interesting discussion, and it was one that we talked about things that I haven't talked with folks about before. So it was, it was enlightening to hear some of your thoughts in terms of how do you foresee how this is, is going to work out and, you know, how do you do it and how do you do it appropriately? And so it was, it was interesting. If I may share with the listeners, um, you know, I've seen a lot of AI development have been a part of a lot of it and the nuclear security community again is at the center of driving important solutions to advance the science of integrating it into our national security systems, verifying it and validating it. So again, you said you didn't talk about AI a lot, you know, maybe not a lot of your listeners feel like they are touching it yet, but I do want the community to know that we are leaving our imprint on AI from an S&T perspective. And as we look to integrate it into national and global security. Awesome. Glad we're not left out. (laughs) Not at all. All right. Well, Angela Sheffield, thanks for joining us on this episode of NucleCast. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we'll see you on the next episode. Well, lots of information there. I think I followed everything. Hopefully you followed everything. Um, It's one of those, you know, difficult topics where 
you, you kind of have to understand it, understand the technology and sort of think through, you know, how this might work. And so, you know, Angie did a good job of, of helping us do that. And, you know, I, I learned something, you know, cause there are things, elements about it that I hadn't thought about before. So I'm, I'm glad uh, Angie was on the show to sort of talk me through it and hopefully uh, you thought it was interesting as well. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grunthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.